this time we're actually recording. We're recording. Hello. <laughs> I just had a false start there. So I recorded about 10 seconds. And it was the best 10 seconds we've ever recorded. Oh my gosh. You guys don't do not know what you missed. It was amazing. 10 seconds. Actually, it really just consisted of me looking at you and you looking at me and us trying to figure out who was going to say something That's first. That's right. Of course, I broke. We got a second chance <laughs> after that, and now we're doing this. This is so me. much better. <laughs> Thank goodness. That's right. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome back. Yes. I hope. Unless this is your first time, in which case, welcome. Welcome. Totally. To the podcast. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about uh, how you become Episcopalian. That's right. This time. How does one become an Episcopalian? Yes. I need to know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I feel like I'm still learning this topic. Yeah, but, that is true. But, yeah. but before we get too far down that road, yeah. I'm Matt Kitchen. And I'm Father Eric. And this is After, After the, the Likeness. Aha! Was I too loud there? I always test your mic. Yeah. And you talk quietly. And then we actually yeah, start recording and you're like, Bruh! You know what? Alex and I, uh, my, my wife, for the listeners, um, we... Um, we do morning prayer, so usually sometimes uh, in the morning, and Makes like sense. it's funny because it will be all quiet and like have some coffee and tea in the morning. It's like before um, our little girl gets up, and then like we'll be just chatting, and then it's like okay, let's do morning prayer. And she's always like, "Eric, be quiet." I'll be like, <laughs> "Glory to God in the highest and peace," because like. Usually when I'm praying, that's true. You know, liturgical it's, prayers. Yeah, I have to project. It makes sense. So like, I immediately go into like a projection, like about at least a couple of verses into a psalm. She'll be like, "Stop it! Just, just a reminder. Shut it." Shut. <laughs> When me and Sable first got Sable's my wife. Oh, yes. <laughs> when we first got married, um, she she before in high school she was a uh, dance captain, and so she had to like be loud, you know, yelling mm, at all mm-hmm. the little girls dancing and whatnot. And, yeah. um, and so like, I remember like, you know, the first week of marriage, just like rolling over and, and like, good morning. She's like, Hey, <laughs> I was like, ah, <laughs> so, luckily, uh, luckily get those toes up. <laughs> <laughs> she's learned her volume, her sister, not so much. Her sister's still really loud, but she doesn't have a reason. I don't know. But, She's like the kind. Sometimes we'll, it's just fun to be loud. We'll be in a restaurant, know? like talking about like private things, you know, that oh, you just don't share with public. And she's like, I do and that. Then too. blah blah. I'm like, yep, yeah, like, yep. Yeah. Uh huh. I do that too. I do that too. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, yeah. that's great though. It can it's very really embarrass people. It's very endearing. Yeah. I also like. I don't often have like I, I have a, a a social filter. I'm not one of those people who just says whatever. <laughs> comes to my head but once i'm on a I topic don't really it's the problem like yeah, i don't um i don't care that much i'm not i'm interested more in the thing i'm talking about than like the reactions <laughs> or context <laughs> or people around me and so i can very often be like loudly saying some awkward things maybe in the restaurant and maybe it, that's like the difference between yeah. you know you're more introverted and i'm more extroverted maybe mm. maybe that's one of the difference like everything yeah. i say is strictly to see what the reaction will be from the other person <laughs> <laughs> i don't have any real thoughts they're just, <laughs> they're just things that come out to see what i get back <laughs> potential stimuli that you send out into the world yes it's all an experiment <laughs> yeah <laughs> how's it going it's good great it's good mm-hmm. how was your 
How was your uh, Thanksgiving? It was really good. Yeah. Um, amazing. We had a great dinner, or actually, I guess it was kind of like afternoon, that in-between kind of Thanksgiving meal, where it's like not mm-hmm. lunch, but it's not dinner yet, um, which is a good time, I think, to have Thanksgiving, because you want to have like two Thanksgiving yeah. meals at least. Like, you know, course, like Thanksgiving yeah. is as much about leftovers Oh yes. to me in terms of, well, I mean, it's about giving thanks for our blessings, actually. But nah. in terms of the, the, the meals, it's like great to have like a big old meal and then like you have some time to hang out with your friends and family that you're around the table with and then you have some dessert and then like... By the evening, it's like, oh, I can already bust back into a little more of this turkey. There just happens to be, yeah, a plentiful array of like delicious meat, like side dishes around. So, so yeah, it was good. And then just sort of this week, I, man, it's been very busy, as you well know, oh, at yeah. our church and in just life in general. And like, um, you know, uh, we had our big pumpkin patch stuff that bled right into. November in which we have our patronal feast and all that kind of stuff. And not to mention like everybody, every other person is getting sick. Like every other day. It's nuts around here. right now. (laughs) It's like, it's not, and it's not just, it's not like COVID and the flu either. It's like everything else that's been hiding Mm -hmm. under a rock while we were all social distancing. It's like, Oh, we're back too. (laughs) I know. We're all like, I didn't even see you last year. Dang it. That's right. (laughs) Uh, So it's been exhausting. So this last week was just great. To have Thanksgiving kind of the weekend. Yeah. To, it was really relaxing, which is good because, you know, December is going to be uh, super fun and, and packed with like lots of cool yeah. stuff and Christmas, getting ready for Christmas stuff. So Heck, I'm excited. Yeah, me yeah. too. Which I is good. It's December's good to be just... excited going into December and not like, oh, no. Yeah. Like yeah. if I, I don't think I've ever actually even said I like winter, but if I were to say I like winter. It's only because I don't of, know that you know what winter is. It's true. In San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> but if I say I like winter, it's yeah. it's because of December. January yeah. and February can take a hike. But mm-hmm. December is like where all the winter stuff in my head happens, you know? Okay. January and February just cold. I accept <laughs> I accept your experience. Um, it is like 80 degrees out right now. That's true. That's true. But it's so funny to me. I, I do love Texas and Texas winters, but Mm -hmm. it can go from 30 degrees to 85 in one day. It really can. This is, it is so confusing for my body. (laughs) Do not know how to dress. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Um, it's pretty wild. It is wild. I like it though. I do like it. I mean, I like that, you know in you know michigan or something right now they're just freezing and we get to just go outside in a t-shirt it's true it's beautiful it's true it's awesome (laughs) and it's this is actually kind of like our fall i mean i guess technically it is still fall but you know yeah that's right it's like (laughs) as someone reminded me it is fall until december 21st (laughs) yes and like i have uh, you know a church member said that the other day and i was like that is insane to me But now in Texas, that does make sense. sense. But like in Canada, it's like they already have four feet of snow right now in Canada. It's like it's if winter is snow time, then it is winter. Exactly. You know, but but yeah, it's nice. Maybe Texas is just right about the season. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Wow. (laughs) It's mind blown. It's hard to be in a state that does everything right. Yeah. All right. Let's end the podcast. Right. I think we've made a lot of good progress. Mike. Yeah. Drop. Yeah, so uh, on my end, Thanksgiving was uh, was lovely. We spent some time out at Sable's folks' house. Nice. Got to see some of her family that we haven't seen in a long time, and that was awesome. Mm. 
I don't know if uh, her cousin Cam still listens, but if he does, shout out to Cam. Haven't seen him in forever. Shout out to Cam. Good to see him. And uh, then we went to uh, my folks. Went out with my uh, my sister and her husband Adam. Nice. Frequent yes. frequent question yes. asker. He, Thank uh, you, Adam. He was, yep. Friend of the show. <laughs> Shout out to Adam. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> he actually said he was going to send in a question. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, all their, you know, squadron of children were there. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Always a good time. I love Always squadron fun. seems like a good amount of children <laughs> it is, there. It is, That's like a... It is an amount. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that seems like the amount of children where you just start... Relating to them as a unit and not as individuals. (laughs) Just the the kids. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They got, I mean, when you have six kids, you got to get tired of people talking about how you have six kids. I kind of feel for them, but sorry, Adam. You're going to have to listen to (laughs) them. But also, it's fun to talk about. (laughs) That's awesome, though. I hear, from what I hear, eventually the older ones just start raising the younger ones. Yeah, I think it's already happening. Yeah. That's good. Good. The oldest is, I think, oh, sorry if you hear this. Any of y'all. I think he's 12, though. Ah, that's what I have in my head. That's good. And the youngest is like two. So wow. they, they ran the gamut. That's a spread. But I guess with mm-hmm. six kids, that's about the as close a spread as you can kind of want. <laughs> right. so. If you if it were yeah. like ages like three to nine, that would yeah. be wild. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Got to get some twins in there for that yeah. to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, we had a great time. Um, and uh, oh, right before Christmas, I had some work out at uh, Matagorda Bay. That's cool. So we went out there that Sunday prior to Thanksgiving. Yeah, we did our work out there on the beach, and then yeah. we stayed an extra day. I took Sable and Ivy on that trip, so we could just yeah. kind of like have a little family time. It was a yeah. good time. It was cold and rainy and gross at the beach, but it was still just being somewhere different. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. That's nice. A yeah. little adventure. And mm-hmm. I like. I I actually kind of like the beach when it's colder. Which I know is crazy, but I, did I, too. I just if don't I like the sun. And- yeah, same. <laughs> I didn't care for the uh, the rainy and everything was wet and gross, yeah. but you know, the cold didn't bother. I thought that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> so Literally. yeah, I think that's really mostly what's going on in my life. It's that's it's, awesome. I'm, I feel like I'm kind of at a, a plateau that I'm happy to be at right now. You know, yeah. it's not like a mundane plateau. It's like a plateau. We're cruising. We're cruising right <laughs> yes. now. Let's just yep. keep cruising for a little while. Yep. <laughs> Because the holidays are going to get nuts. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. I'm, not, yeah. I'm excited for that, but I'm very much enjoying the breather. Yes. Before agreed. we take the dive down the next little mm-hmm. water slide. Yeah. It's a, That's, this is a water slide it's metaphor. It's a glacier. It's yeah. a, a ski oh, slope. glacier. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All you right. want to talk about Episcopalianism? Yeah. Let's do that. Nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, we want we've been wanting to do this episode for a little while um, and talk about like because we've been talking about sort of like in this season quote unquote um, it's a real season tis the season yeah um, we want to do we've been talking about what is sort of the unique uh, episcopal way of discipleship like you know obviously. We don't want to bad talk any other Christians aside from Presbyterians or Calvinists. Yeah, the worst. Said. No, mm-hmm. just kidding. Just kidding, Presbyterians and Calvinists. Yes, I'm totally kidding um, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, but we, we share so much as Christians, even very different, divergent like traditions of Christianity share so much. And we, we've, we kind of talked a lot about that. I have a question yeah. on that on that note yeah. that hopefully won't take us too far down yeah, a rabbit yeah. hole. Right. <laughs> have to rename what this last episode. Time. <laughs> <laughs> but are any other religions yeah. 
as divided in the way they see their faith as Christianity is? That's that's a good question. Um, I we wouldn't, have so many denominations and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be able to answer that fully um, because All right, I don't on. have. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, ultimately, yeah, the answer is I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. In what I do, because I don't have as much a comprehensive knowledge of sort of world religions, but right. I was very interested in a lot of different religions, especially mm-hmm. in sort of my seeker phase where I was like looking at them all. Um, all sort of like things that you would class. And again, the word religion is like a weird, it's a modern yeah. Western box right. that we kind of try and throw all these different things onto. So like Hinduism yeah. is like, that's a modern term. Like no one before you know, the 1800s talked about Hindus or Hinduism, like Hinduism essentially is everything that it means to be like an Indian living on the Indian subcontinent, right? Mm -hmm. Including what we would call like worship sort of religious things, but then cultural thing, you know, like, so so, when you're talking about non-Christian religions, non-Western religions, even using the term religion can be problematic to like, because you oftentimes what we do is we sort of, sort of squint our eyes and get a general outline of like, what are the basic building blocks of Christianity? Like we have scriptures, we have a founder, Jesus, we have, you know, like the church, a community. And then we're like, what's the Islamic version of this? It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, well the Quran, Muhammad and the Ummah are that. But then it's like with Buddhism, it's like, well, you have Buddha, right? And you have like these sort of (laughs) loose collection of surah, you know, all this stuff. Right. Anyway, um, there's definitely, very there's always in 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 so like to say buddhism islam um in what we could call hinduism or the the various traditions of traditional indian religions mm-hmm. the traditional um chinese religion stuff like that there are tons and tons of divisions you gotcha. know like um a lot of different sort of traditions that would be very very distinct from one another so what we and, just kind of broadly call yeah. Hinduism may actually be a ton of different. Well, it's things. a ton of different cults. I mean, I don't mean that in like a negative sense, right. like like uh, uh, you know, like Jonestown or something like, like that. David Koresh, but, but like cultic, like <laughs> yeah. uh, w- traditions around different gods, different temples, stuff like that, and they would all kind of go together in a sort of coherent ish worldview Mm -hmm. but here's what i think makes christianity so distinct in its distinctiveness from different traditions is in the modern period christianity in the west in the modern western period christianity the the way christians started thinking about themselves was more of like a body of believers who believed the same thing and less of a body of believers who were created as such really physically, like, but through baptism and Eucharist. Yeah. Right. And so like, if you look at the church before, um, before the reformation say, but even before that, like before, uh, um, in, in, even in the Eastern church, right. You have very, very distinct Christian traditions and expressions of Christianity, but they didn't consider themselves. Well, well, that means I'm the church and you're not, or you're on, you know, like mm-hmm. there was like a lot of diversity. And if you look at the, even the Roman Catholic church, that Catholic Catholic meaning universal principle, right. like they tried to maintain that. So if you talk to a Franciscan monk and you talk to a Jesuit monk, 
these are people who follow very different paths in life mm-hmm. and have are have a very different spirituality, very different way of expressing their faith, uh, of worship, even like all this kind of stuff. But they are united by the common worship that's uh, between all Christians. So, which is um, kind of how we should be, right? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So the, the diversity within Christianity um, is not something that's unique to Christianity. There's a lot of diversity in ways of thinking about one's faith or one's worldview or expressing it or all that kind of stuff. Um, what might be distinctive is like in the last 500 odd years or so, in the West at least, um, Christians really started like, drawing like they started like um uh uh getting more and more detailed about where the line was between who was christian or who was not based Mm. just on like what is the what are the intellectual beliefs that you assent to in your community and that led to this sort of like you know the situation now where it's like okay so like the the baptist southern baptist convention of 1846 and the southern baptist convention of 1848 like one is the true church and the other one is going straight to hell you know like (laughs) it's it's like (laughs) that again that that got kind of reached its heyday in the 1800s um but we live with that a lot today now um but but you know the anglican tradition episcopal tradition was a protestant is a protestant tradition like it went with the the reformation um side of the reformate the protestant side of the reformation but because of our unique history we also maintained explicitly as part of our identity our catholicity or the idea that we were universal so that's why you see in our tradition too a lot of diversity within it so some things that like some churches in the Episcopal Church are as Baptist as Baptists, mm-hmm. and some churches are as Catholic as Catholics. And like outside of our tradition, those churches would not want to have anything to do with <laughs> yeah. each other. But inside of our tradition, we are like, no, we are united not by the way our churches look or the architecture necessarily, um, uh, but or even like some aspects of theology. But we're we are united by certain theology, like the sort of the Orthodox creeds the like the nicene creed there are there are boundaries of what is a christian what isn't but traditionally that boundary has been pretty broad it's like jesus jesus as the son of god as the the trinity you know like as long as you're within sort of that area there's a lot of room for difference and disagreement um and um and how that plays out uh, and like those i though it's not to say either those differences aren't significant or like there aren't situations where like someone is right and someone is wrong Mm -hmm. but those are traditionally considered intra-christian discussions the discussion isn't like well you're obviously not a christian at all because you you know said this or that or whatever like so okay does that make sense yeah that was a long explanation yeah and while i was totally listening i thought of something else oh cool (laughs) which is that's good we, <laughs> this uh, that i think that question is um as as terrible question as a what <laughs> um i think that actually will lead back into our topic so oh, nice. let's see if this one no this one will not okay. this is yeah but this is entirely unrelated yeah um because we skipped a segment which is oops the sermon last week oh yeah 
which I don't uh, have a question actually about the sermon, but something mm-hmm. I've noticed you're doing differently over the past month or two. Correct. Yeah. You don't stand at the podium anymore. That's right. What's up with that dog? Well, it's electric, not a podium, but um, just that's what I said. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, actually, I got some feedback from the eight o'clock service um, and some folks were saying like, it's just. You know, the sermons are a little dead at the 8 a.m. service because I'm at the lectern. That's, that's rude. Yeah. Well, I, I actually appreciate rude feedback. It's not rude, um, it, but honest feedback. Your sermon right? a little dead. Yeah. It's kind of terrible. Um, you know that, that thing that you kind of have to do every week? you're a great person, week. but you're horrible. Hor- no. Um, you're a terrible person. No, it, but it, it, was, it was really good feedback because, um, you know... My sermon style at the 8 a.m. service, which is smaller, so like they don't give like the joke is for priests, like you you oftentimes you're saying the same sermon at two services, like you don't have to pause for jokes at the 8 a.m. <laughs> service because they'll think it's funny yeah. or whatever you say or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but they're not gonna internalize at it. all. <laughs> the, you know, like don't expect it. It's too early. Like don't even worry about it. Um, but the 8 a.m. service was also the one we broadcast. So I had to do it at the oh, lectern all through yeah, COVID. Yeah. And I was preaching as much to the camera. Right. So it felt a little awkward for them because I'm like, I'm trying to engage the camera and as much as the people there. Makes but sense. I also had to stay at the lectern and, ha- you know, and write up my sermons, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so basically he was like, you know, if you could be more engaging because like, I was still kind of preaching like there were the, you know, 15 people who were there at an early service, right. but also the people at home, you yeah. know, like a wide audience, who knows how many people, you know? Um, and so I, I usually, uh, my, my back in seminary, I started preaching mm-hmm. not from notes, you know, like just, um, from it. maybe an outline <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And, and, and from, you know, not from a, a pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm comfortable with so that, but it was just like, I hadn't done it for a while. <laughs> it's called a podium. <clears throat> um, yeah, I called, I said, it, I corrected you and said it was a lectern. Now I'm calling it a pulpit. I'm a hypocrite. God, um, this guy. Yeah. I'm the worst. Worst at preaching at AM. Worst at Canadians. Yeah. yeah we're terrible. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's, that's why. And if okay. I'm doing it at 8am, you know, it's, it's more fun to do that. I was just, yeah. you know, I kind of, I get in a habit and then once I have a habit, I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think about it until I hear something and then I'm like, Oh, okay. Yes. I can change that. So nice. That's, I mean, I like that's it. what happened. I no, me too. I didn't. It's I was, much it better. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah. The first week you did it, I was like, Oh snap. What's what he doing? is happening? <laughs> yeah. Look at him go. No. And it works out much better at the 1032. Like, mm-hmm. um, it well, and the me... shape of our church is probably easier to yes, look yeah. at. Well, everyone. that's actually what kept me from going back for a while, even after mm-hmm. we stopped broadcasting, because our church has, they have big transepts, which are like the side areas people sit down. Wings. You know, the wings. Um, <laughs> I was like, if I stand up front, I'm even further up ahead ah. and showing my back to the people who are on the sides. Yeah. But I think it works just fine. I just have to turn a little further and I'm turning more because I'm outside of the right. pulpit lectern you know, restricted. Yeah. The <laughs> stage. The- also, I noticed uh, for the first time in, I think I can safely say years. Yeah. Um, the other podium yes. was used. 
I was very yes. happy to see this. Uh, we don't have a microphone on that one. <laughs> yeah, why is it, that? We it broke. This is inside baseball. But yeah. <laughs> That's why. Like, no one cares about this. <laughs> no, yeah. All right, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> but yeah. So anyways, how does... Oh, oh, oh. I know where I was leading to with all of this. Actually, yeah. I wasn't, but I'm going to try to bring it home. All right. Which, which is, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I think. Maybe three. We had um, our St. Margaret's Day. Yes. And the bishop came. Yeah. Had a couple confirmations Beautiful. and also had a couple uh, folks being received. Yes. One reception one received. and one yeah. reaffirmation. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, is, uh, received was our friend Jessica, who mm-hmm. we've told about this podcast uh, last week. And maybe so she's and probably she acted listen- like it was the first time I she's, she's going to go back and listen to so all of them. We'll see so maybe hears, weeks This is our now. test to see if she's actually listening. That's right. Jessica, if you hear this, say... I heard you say my name. Ah, yes. And if not, then we'll know. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> She's going to hear this in just, like like three months after she right. catches up and be like, dude. <laughs> Don't worry. We've just been silently waiting for you to get <laughs> But she was yeah. uh, received. That's right. Which kind of led us into uh, thinking about, yeah. well, I guess it didn't lead us into it. But it's yeah. a perfect example, I think, of what we're going to be talking about. Exactly. Right? Or could be. So why become Episcopalian? Mm-hmm. How do you become Episcopalian? What does it mean to become Episcopalian? And mm-hmm. like, um, you know, it does kind of go back to your initial question there as uh, off. What's a podium? Topic as we thought it was. Yeah. That- <laughs> um, you know, about the distinctions between traditions mm-hmm. of Christianity. Because, like, they're, on the one hand, like I was saying before, we do have, and especially in our church, we really emphasize and recognize our unity with other traditions of Christianity. Mm -hmm. We are not one ever to have been like, the Anglican church is the one true church, and if you don't belong to us, then you don't belong to the church, and you're just second best, and you're just fooling yourselves. I mean, we think Presbyterians. But we don't say it. Yeah. But like, no, we, we like very clear, like, we're like, no, we recognize the, um, the churchiness of the Roman Catholics of the Eastern Orthodox of the Presbyterians. Ah. I know, I know of the, you know, the Baptists of the, you know, like we have deep. Are there any we don't accept? Yes. Um, Ooh, so what certainly <laughs> like Unitarian Universalists, like well, non-Trinitarians. Um, I guess I won't get again, into that. it's not that we don't accept them. We <laughs> yeah, accept them as sure. people and like, <laughs> You're uh, not even and human. even people who believe in God and stuff like that. And yeah. there are lots of people who go to U- UU churches that are sort of Orthodox believing Christians, but their church does not believe in the Trinity mm-hmm. and some other stuff that um, uh, the divinity of Christ, all that kind of stuff. So like we like, do have standards. Believe everything and nothing That's right. at the same but, time. <laughs> but the, the UUs themselves would yeah. tell you that they are not Christians, you mm. know, like, okay. the, or they're not Trinitarian Christians at right. least. So like, it's not like we're like being like, Oh, get out of here. Stop. Get, stop trying to come to our club. They're not trying to come to our club, <laughs> right? They have their own club for a reason. Um, but so, um, uh, probably more controversial, not controversially, but like, um, so like we would maybe have issues with like, say Jehovah's witnesses or Mormons. Um, mm. like again, though, those are our groups that would describe themselves as Christians. Although I don't think like, say the Mormons, they, they would like, um, I've met great Mormons and great Mormon theologians. Mm-hmm. Like they, the Mormon theologians at least would say like no we do not we don't see jesus or god in the same way at all Mm -hmm. as orthodox christians or traditional christians like 
us and you know like uh, some of those other denominations mm-hmm. uh, so there's a distinction there so we would say like okay that they can call themselves Christians that's great but um, but we wouldn't see them as like as uh, practicing the same the apostolic faith right Christ taught and you know all that stuff and they have reasons their reasons for believing what they do obviously um, and there's no reason to disrespect them at mm. all yeah um, but like but certainly we respectfully disagree uh sure deeply too but that said like you know a lot of different kinds of christians we point out like we it, it's actually kind of amazing like when c.s lewis uh wrote <sighs> mere christianity um i got to page three of that so yeah. far oh good good I'm cruising See, along <laughs> you may have read this part i think it's in the foreword he, Actually, I think that's all I've read. He was, <laughs> he was like astounded that he started getting letters. And, oh, yeah. and this was back in the <laughs> 40s, 40s, 50s. So at that time, denominational identity was still, I would say, stronger yeah. than Christian identity and for a lot of people or as strong. Um, and uh, he, But he would get letters from Presbyterians, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholics, Baptists, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I don't know, other ones, <laughs> no, but like, uh, you know, Dutch reformed, whatever, yeah. you know, and because he was, he was explicating the common core of Christianity, mm-hmm. it really was heartening for him to see like, yeah, that's the common core of all these traditions of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we do disagree on the details. And sometimes we, um, we take, we draw the line too close um, um, to the, you know, we, I think we interrupt our communion with one another as Christians by like, by making a disagreement, a division. Yeah. Um, But that said, there are also good reasons for divisions. There are, um, you know, disagreements that would need to be resolved before say like two groups merged together like we have signed agreements with uh, the evangelical lutheran church um that make us in full communion so that means like any episcopalian can go to a lutheran church or vice versa and just like you know like you take communion do whatever and but even clergy could like i could go to a lutheran church don't need any like uh, additional training and I could do a service for them and they could do a service for us. That's so crazy. we have full sort of interchangeability. Are there any others we have full communion with? Um, not well, actually. Yeah. So the, um, the Utrecht union, uh, which is an ancient connection going back to uh, St. Willebrod. Sounds kind of sci-fi. Yeah. Is it's, it? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, it's basically the Netherlands. Um, Ooh. but, uh, and also the Marianites, I believe, or the Marcionites. I can't remember. No, the Marcionites, that's a heresy. They're not in communion. Uh-oh. Don't but they're gone. <laughs> They've been gone for eight, seven hundred years. But um, but yeah, so the, we, we are in full communion with some. Um, the Church of South India, uh, which is in full communion with like everybody. We're talking to like the Methodists as well. Um, oh, snap. But like there are actual like things that need to be negotiated. So like with the Lutherans, they have bishops, which is important to us. That's what Episcopal right. means as a bishop. We're like, as opposed to, sorry, Presbyterians, Presbyterians, which comes from <laughs> presbyter, which is the word we get priest or pastor mm. or elder from. And like their whole church is like, we don't need bishops. We just need pastors. Right. And so like, so there's not, is there like a structure 
there is the a structure. church or is it kind of each one is just yeah i mean they have a board thing. of elders and then um but then they have pastors which again it comes from the same word but elders are not ordained mm. they have ordained elders pastors um and then they have synods like sort of groups of churches all uh together or not synods uh but conventions or, or whatever why is anyone even presbyterian what are they doing <laughs> presbyterians we seriously love you <laughs> Okay, I have an idea. And former Presbyterian. I used to go to Presbyterian church. By the way, guys, I had great... When I was coming back into Christianity, it was um, uh, the place where I did that. So ah. I have love and am have been loved by Presbyterians. And so it's I just want to... not wanna, flag football. Yeah, that's right. It does not in flag football <laughs> when our seminaries compete against each other. My loyalties are clear then. Um, but okay, so the Lutherans, though, they had bishops... And they had the same, pretty much the theology, like we believe in the real presence. They have consubstantiation, but that is a doctrine of real presence. That's important to us. But their bishops had not maintained apostolic succession, which is something we talked about before. And it's crucial to how one becomes officially an Episcopalian. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is like, uh, that's that physical link that we can trace back to the original 12 apostles who were ordained by Jesus Christ by laying on of hands, breathing on them, the coming of the Holy Spirit to be the the apostles. Um, the office of bishop is an inheritance of the office of an apostle. So like those apostles laid their hands on the heads of new apostles to ordain their successors. And if you go to a Roman Catholic, Orthodox or Anglican um, uh, bishop, they will often have sometimes on their wall, like the literal tree going back historically, like the genealogy of their of their bishop's ordination going back to one of the apostles. Now, the Lutherans Crazy. didn't have that. So part of the negotiation for us to come into full communion was that at every new bishop's consecration in the Lutheran church, one Episcopal clergy person, one Episcopal bishop would be there because it takes three bishops to make a new bishop. And How so, many bishops? <laughs> three, that's right. How many bishops take? Um, and so now at this point, like Lutherans, for the most part, all the bishops have that apostolic succession through our bishops. And the Lutherans did not really care about this, but we were like, no, this is really important. Like if we're going to have mutual ministry where your bishop could come to an Episcopal church and confirm someone, that bishop has to have apostolic succession. It's, it's important to us that like that Mm -hmm. is, uh, there's a literal physical link, you know, like, uh, going down the ages. Um, it keeps us in contact with the church in every age and all the way back to the time of Christ. So, so that, that gets to like sort of how one becomes Episcopalian. Um, okay. I have an yeah. idea. I have yeah. an idea. Yeah. What if I <laughs> present you different hypothetical or not so hypothetical sure. uh, people from different stages in, in, in Christianity or different worldviews or whatever? Sure. And you tell me how the path for that person yeah. to become Episcopalian. Okay, that sounds great. I'll start with me because I'm a yeah. egocentric man, but <laughs> an ecocentric man. Eco, yeah, I'm very eco-conscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> okay, so I, unbeknownst to me, yeah. until I was confirmed in this church, I didn't uh, know that I was uh, baptized in a Methodist church. This, yeah, my whole entire life. 
Yeah. Until like two years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thought mm-hmm. I was Episcopalian. So. <laughs> Methodists come from the Episcopal Church. So. Yeah. yeah. Take that. Yeah. I don't know. So, Their bishops do have apostolic succession. Oh, nice. As well. So that's cool. So let's say a person was um, baptized in a Methodist church yeah. or or say Lutheran or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Baptized in that, come yeah. to the Episcopal Church. You're like, this seems How dope. old? Ooh. Yeah. How old are they coming? Uh, well, let's say for me then, 36 or whatever I was. Wait, but you had already been in the Episcopal Church. Yes. Just not, I wasn't confirmed or baptized in it. Yeah, but how old when you started coming to the Episcopal Church? Oh, when initially? I started coming? Yeah. I don't know, five, six. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, like, I would say, <laughs> because, like, I don't think you were just, like, unexpectedly not Episcopalian for your whole life, and then when you're 30, you're like, oh, man, I was never, you know, like, and now I'll be confirmed. Um, so, membership in a church, it is a little fuzzy, you know? Like, it's, like, back in the day... Um, it would take three years to become a Christian. You oh. at minimum, man. Um, sometimes longer. It's tough. He would like drag it out. Um, <laughs> like you would be enrolled in the catechumenates in the early church, and for hundreds of years, and you would sort of learn about Christianity. You would go to classes essentially, or and like learn from the Christians, and um, you would go to church. And but you would leave before communion. A lot of times, especially in the early days. You would not have even seen communion take place until you were it? baptized. That's right. Because you would you the, be like in the same room. <clears throat> that's right. Basically, what? the catechumens would be dismissed at the peace uh, when we do the passing of the peace. And it'd be like, okay, great. And we'll see you. And so when they were baptized, they would be baptized um, and then come into the church, usually at night, because it would be the Easter vigil was the normal time to baptize someone after Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would be introduced to what the secret ritual of communion was um, for the first time ever. It'd be cool. That's wild. It is wild. Um, <laughs> but uh, point is, one one of those people died uh, before they were baptized. They were considered a Christian. You know, oh. like they were buried in a Christian cemetery with, you know, like, mm-hmm. so it was like you're... You were on the path to being baptized. You're already a Christian. Um, you wanted to be, so you were, you know. Um, but uh, so for you, you were baptized Methodist. But when you were five or six, your parents started come, bringing you here. There are really two aspects of like identity in terms of both like the general Christian church, but then also you know, if you're doing it within an Episcopal context, then you're an Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. So like you were baptized as a Methodist, but when you started coming when you were five or six, you were participating in communion. Even if you weren't taking it yet, you were coming to communion. Oh, I was. Yeah, yeah I'm good. Um, <laughs> and for those of you all listening who don't know the Episcopal Church, like as soon as you're baptized, we believe you are fully initiated into the Christian mysteries, including the Eucharist. So if a baby comes up who's baptized, they can take communion. I'll put wine in their mouth. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> little eyedropper. Yeah, I know. That's right. I'll do it. Um, so, but, but those are the two things. So for in Israel, ancient Israel and like the Bible times, um, and now actually, yeah, the things that make you uh, Jewish, if you're a man, at least is circumcision. Or if you're a woman, like being part of a family where the head is circumcised, um, or, you know, coming from, uh, but that was like, that's essentially like that aspect of circumcision being the identity marker that makes you part of the nation of Israel. 
um, is partially taken up for us by baptism. So baptism has a lot more theology to it than just being an identity marker. Um, but it's kind of the equivalent of circumcision. And then taking part in the Passover meal is the other thing that makes you Israel, makes you an Israelite. It's like you're circumcised and then you take part in the Passover each year. Mm. So you can see how that's uh, mirrored by baptism and Eucharist, right? These are connected sacraments. So even though you were baptized in the Methodist church, the fact as soon as you started regularly taking or even taking part in, even if you weren't receiving the bread and wine, like if your parents didn't want you to until you're older, the fact that you were here participating in communion in an Episcopal church with an Episcopal priest ordained by an Episcopal bishop, Episcopal line of succession, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that's when you became an Episcopalian. So like when your parents became members and this was like the place you were, that's that's what it is. So like for someone who is baptized, and even if they're not confirmed, even if they never get confirmed or received, mm-hmm. if they're baptized even outside the Episcopal Church, but they start making, if their sacramental home is an Episcopal Church under an official like Episcopal jurisdiction, you know, mm-hmm. like that's uh, what makes you Episcopalian. Um, because Episcopalianism is not just, you know, like we're an old school church that predates the modern idea that the church is just sort of a set of ideas that you assent to. And that's your identity. Mm -hmm. The church is a community you belong to. Um, So like my friend um, uh, back in Springfield, Illinois, uh, we were, this was back when I was in seminary and I had found out that like most presidents were Episcopalian American presidents. Yeah. And this actually wasn't a point of pride for me being Canadian. I was like, I don't care. It's just a (laughs) fact. And I was like, yeah, Thomas Jefferson. And he, my friend was, and probably still is, maybe, I don't know, an atheist. And he was like angry. He was like, no, Thomas Jefferson was not Episcopalian. He was a deist, right? Because there's this thing in the atheist community where they don't want to identify America as a Christian country or whatever, you know, like. Um, it's a secular, not Christian country, which is like, totally again, it's just sort of, (laughs) it's a game of semantics. That'd be a fun topic sometime. It would be, we can, we can go into that. That is a fun history. Next July. Like the definition (laughs) of what a quote unquote Christian country is has changed a lot. So it depends on your definition in some ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. America still is very much a Christian country. In some ways, it has never been a Christian country. <laughs> right. You know, like, and to me, also, like, it's ambiguous to me. I was like, okay, if we say America is a Christian country, then are we saying, like, uh, you know, thanks, thank goodness we're Christians because we abolished slavery? Or are we saying, oh my gosh, we're a Christian country? That's why we had slavery. You know, like, <laughs> it doesn't add, huh. like, that in and of itself yeah. is then it's like, well, what do you attribute America's positives and negatives to mm-hmm. to their christianity christianity or not christianity anyway the point is yeah. <laughs> it was he said he was a deist and that is true about thomas jefferson thomas mm-hmm. jefferson was a deist and a deism is not a christian philosophy it's a it's like god, set, god set things in motion and then just took a back seat that's right much, it right? is it is very it's almost like a modern gnosticism like god is not at all involved in the universe it was a very popular heresy a very popular heresy in our church amongst like intellectuals in england specifically that's like mm-hmm. kind of our thing so I there were like lots a, of clergy people who were deists. in some of my life i was there unofficially yeah. but you know yeah, i was it, there you know <laughs> and yeah deism it's it's kind of the um it makes it's so wonderful for it's it's the 
the theology that fits perfectly with a secular democracy because mm-hmm. the idea is God's up there. Don't worry. He, this is our business down here. Yeah. Like we're just going to figure things out. We don't need, like, thank you. Obviously we rationally need to accept that a God created the universe mm-hmm. because it's ordered. And like <laughs> Thomas Jefferson never in a million years would have become an atheist, mm-hmm. which I, so it's funny that atheists like want to like claim him as sort of a proto atheist. Deism is not atheism. Yeah. <laughs> he, like the reason why he was a deist and not an atheist is because he thought it was utterly irrational based on rational arguments to deny the existence of a God, which is sort of the standard intellectual position going back to before Christian, like paganism, you know? Um, but, and not being able to deny the existence of God is basically atheism. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I was. I was like, yeah, I believe I never doubted that there was a God. I just Mm -hmm. didn't, I couldn't fathom that he would give a crap about, you know, anything I'm doing down here. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. And that is a bigger fish to fry. Just steps in sometimes. Maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the idea of like, okay, so there's an ordered universe. So maybe there's a creator way back in the day, but like, he's not doing anything now. Yeah. Just sets the rules and it's off like a watch, you know, like, um, anyway, point is though, that what, what we started arguing about was a miscommunication because, um, deism is a theology, right? It's a belief system about God. It's a set of like propositions about who God is or isn't. And certainly deism does not match up with traditional Christian theology, but the Episcopal church. And that's what I was saying was he was an Episcopalian, which he also was at the same time. It is not a theology, right? Not to say, well, like you can just believe whatever you want in the Episcopal Church. You can, but it's not good to believe whatever you, you know. Yeah. Like there, there is an intellectual tradition to Christianity that's actually really important in the Episcopal Church, the Church teaching. Mm-hmm. But that said, what makes you an Episcopalian is the fact that you are um, you are baptized and you belong to the Church. It's a community that you belong to, right? Mm -hmm. So like there are Episcopalians who are atheists. There are Episcopalians who are probably deists. If there are deists still around, there are some. Um, (laughs) There are Episcopalians who believe all sorts of weird things. I see it on the internet. There are Episcopalians, (laughs) you know, like, but like that's not what makes you an Episcopalian or not. That is maybe what makes you like a faithful Episcopalian. Although even there, there are Episcopalians who are atheists who, who literally do not believe that God exists, who by other measures of like religiosity, they come to church and they're involved, you know, like, and you know, they've been, they go take communion for some reason. I don't know why, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, like don't, please don't take communion. If you don't actually believe in communion. <laughs> like sit respectfully, you know, whatever you want to do. But like, um, uh, but that, that is, they're, two separate things. And so this gets to our question of what does it mean to become Episcopalian? Mm -hmm. I think as an adult, it does. If you're, if you're making a transition into the Episcopal church, it does involve like the intellectual grappling, right? That's kind of where, before you go too far, that's kind of what I was going to ask next, which is let's say I was baptized Methodist because my parents were like, well, you're supposed to get your kid baptized. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And then we never went to church. Mm -hmm. And then at 35 years old, I was like, Hey, Episcopalianism seems kind of cool. And then I started going for four months arbitrarily. Yeah. How does that person become 
So yeah, that person is, I would say for that four months, if they're still undecided themselves about what they believe or if they want to be part of the church, then they're, they're kind of visitors, right? They're, I wouldn't say, well, you're Episcopalian yet. I'd say you're like discerning, an inquirer. Seeking? Stuff like that. A seeker. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, and if you died, I would bury you in the church, you know, parking lot or whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> church cemetery. Um, <laughs> parking lot. No, sorry. Yeah, we we don't bury asphalt. people in parking lots. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> don't don't dig up our parking lot. Um, <laughs> Please. That's yeah. where the secrets right. are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the way you would become Episcopalian at that point is like, I would say you would, um, I mean, minimally, minimally, if you just said, okay, even if you were just, you just said it to yourself, it's like, yes, I want to be a member here and you Mm -hmm. become a member and you start taking communion and you believe it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, if I were talking to that person and they were, I was accompanying them as they were inquiring, um, I would say if they weren't confirmed, I would say, okay, if you're coming into the church, you ought to get confirmed because you're of age and you get to reaffirm your baptism because you've been away from the church for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so we also, it is significant to us coming back to the confirmation, reaffirmation, like that apostolic tradition is not just for bishops. It's also for all Episcopalians, right? Like every Episcopalian is, um, has, some connection to that, even if it's just through the priest, because every priest is ordained by a bishop from apostolic succession. So like, again, you're kind of, it's like, that's why if you're just taking communion, um, even if you were baptized in another tradition um, and you want to be there, right? You sort mm-hmm. of committed to that local community, that local community still has a connection all the way back through your priest, through the communion, through your priest, through the bishop to the church as a whole and that particular tradition as a whole. Um, now, if that person had already been confirmed, um, who was 30 years old before they sort of stopped going to church mm-hmm. or their parents, like as some do just brought them back to be confirmed and left again, you know, yeah. like, which is not a good practice. <laughs> um, but, <clears throat> uh, then I would, and, and that person were talking to me, then I would say like, <laughs> you would want to, ideally you would want to formalize your return to the church through reaffirmation. That's exactly what my next question was going to be is, yeah, you know, we just mentioned that someone in our church got reaffirmed when that's right. Would or should someone do that? Honestly, one can, anyone can do that any time. It's just kind of like a inner thing where you're just like, I really, that's kind of like renewing your wedding vows. Yeah, that's right. Like we do like, you know, like, um, um, at when anyone is baptized, um, we all reaffirm True, our, our yeah. baptismal vows. So really the, it's not, it's not a sacrament, but it is when the, our church member went up to do their reaffirmation of their baptism. Um, it was in front of a Bishop and the Bishop said sort of a certain prayer. So it was really, that person was being recognized by the Bishop who is a stand in for the whole church across mm-hmm. time and space. So like, that ritual there or that aspect of the confirmation baptism sort of array of, of rituals, what that is, it is rec- being recognized by your community as having particularly reaffirmed your baptism. Like, I see. We all reaffirm our baptism because our baptism is always true and we always need to be renewed in mm-hmm. it, you know, but 
in particular when um, so so sometimes when you might want to consider this is if you've been not going to church for a long time and you are already baptized and confirmed and like you come back that would be a time to reaffirm formally because it just the physical acts make a difference like you might think oh well i don't want to i don't need other people to see me it's like yes you do and Mm -hmm. like other people also need to see you Mm -hmm. because that's what part of being a sacrament is like the people who are being confirmed and received like we are reaffirming ourselves in them because they're like they're a living example a living witness in the the act of receiving those sacraments to us of everything that the things that God is doing to us all the time you know so it is significant to publicly stand up worship is a public service for mm-hmm, us for sure even if there's only 10 people in the room it's a public thing and so it's all about making manifest making visible making known the things God is doing so like one of the ways to do that is to to reaffirm your baptism the the other time and like uh, that people would do it. It's like, it, even if you've been in church, you were baptized, you were confirmed. Like you might want to get reaffirm, reaffirm your baptism. If you've made sort of like a big spiritual leap. So like, um, if you've come to a new, a new deeper understanding of your faith, you've ho- sort of had a renewal or, or awakening of yeah, a I was new say, level of what faith. What about the opposite? Maybe the flame died out a little bit and then yeah all of a sudden you're like you know what that's right i'm coming back baby <laughs> exactly exactly and like those things it's it's kind of like we think about reaffirmation of baptism the way baptists think about baptism yeah um so right. like baptists even baptist clergy will get rebaptized like four times which is <laughs> hugely theologically problematic <laughs> in our understanding of baptism which is correct but which is the correct one <laughs> but their understanding of baptism it is coherent with yeah. their understanding of baptism their understanding of baptism is much more as a personal expression mm-hmm. of your faith whereas ours is like baptism involves a personal expression of your faith mm-hmm. even taken on your behalf by your parents if you're a baby mm-hmm. but it the reason why a ba- that still counts for a baby is because baptism also has these things where god and the holy spirit are doing stuff to you mm-hmm. like there's an actual change to your soul that is one done and done baptism. that's right exactly <laughs> so okay next yeah. hypothetical person yeah let's say janine has never gone to church and she is Janine. An, a, I don't. I've never yeah. known a Janine, which is why Janine, I the you name. are welcome at St. Margaret's anytime. <laughs> She's never gone. It's a great place Doesn't to even... put your toe in the water. <laughs> check out this whole Christianity thing. We are the place for church. you. That's right. Come on over, Janine. She's been an atheist her whole life. It's not Janine Garofalo, is it? It could be. It could be. I forgot about her. Yeah. Um, I think so she's anyways, actually Jewish. But Janine Garofalo. Is, yeah. <laughs> she's been atheist her whole life. Yeah. She's 56 years Jeanine old. Janine Garofalo is a fictitious person and any resemblance to... The names are made actual, up, but the problems right. are real. Yeah. <laughs> so she's uh, 56. Yeah. Just two weeks ago, she's like, you know, I've heard about this Episcopal thing. Seems yeah. kind of cool. That's I don't right. know. Maybe God's real. I don't know. Whatever. I'll go check it out. That's right. What is her path to become Episcopalian? Yeah. So her path, never stepped foot in a church before. Mm-hmm. Her path, her practical path is probably she's going to come to a church service. Right. Right. It, that's usually where people wander in. Mm-hmm. If she has a connection, she might start talking to a friend who is that. Or 
this has happened too. She might, and before even coming to a church service, call up the clergy person if, if she's really bold, right? But a lot of people are like, they don't want to, they don't know yeah, how to call a, a priest. Chance you know? I would like, have ever that's done crazy. that. <laughs> um, it's like, that seems like a extreme first step. So usually the baby step is come and check it, the, check the church out a little bit and then maybe talk to the clergy person afterwards. And, you know, like if you have a good sort of welcoming group, someone's going to find out like, Hey, this person's never been to church before. The priest should probably talk to her about the path into the church. Mm -hmm. Um, so probably there's going to be some, unless they come in and they're like, I had a dream. Jesus appeared. He said, he wants me to become a Christian. I'm here to get baptized. And it's like, all right, step right up, buddy. Like, um, but usually it's probably more of a, like some kind of quieter call that's mm -hmm. drawn them there, whatever it is right. that you are, that is going to take some time to unpack. And so they'll sort of learn the rules and like the shape of the community um, in conversation with the clergy person or, or, you know, a well-formed lay person or, a, you know, go in at bigger churches, they might go to a small group or a fellowship group and kind of just get to know people. Um, but when they, and, and go along, I think we've had podcasts before about sort of the stages that someone goes through on yeah, their way to believe, discipleship. Believe so. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, bottom line is that's May have kind been part of, of the charisms actually. What's that? <laughs> May have been the first step of the charisms. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. But, um, but that whole time between like, they feel drawn to the church and then they're ready to like, say, yes. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I, I've learned what that means. And yes, I'm down with, I, I'm, I'm cool with it, and I want to commit. Right, that whole period would kind of be the equivalent now of the catechumenate of the early uh, church. In fact, in some churches, they just call it that, and they, mm -hmm. we still have a thing to enroll catechumens and all that stuff. We don't dismiss them at the piece anymore, um, but because everyone knows what we're doing Beat afterwards, it. so you might as well just stay and watch if you want. Um, but so that that would be the process would be like getting at least as good of an understanding as they can sort of uh, uh, understand, because none of us, you know, none of us understand baptism or communion or eternity or the nature of God. Ultimately, you know, like. But as good as they can. So Most like, of us. I, and I say that because like if someone, it depends, like if someone came to the church and they wanted to be, get baptized and they had an intellectual disability and really couldn't understand at sort of the level you and I would have what baptism is, but they like, they wanted to, mm -hmm. then we baptize them, you mm -hmm. know, like, so that's a difference between us and some Christian traditions as well for them being a Christian means believing certain things. So if you can't believe certain things because of an intellectual disability, you can't be a Christian, you know, which is crazy. That's terrible. <laughs> but again, for us being a Christian is being part of is literally physically being part of a body, mm -hmm. being part of a community, a community of the body of Christ. Um, so, so when they've made that decision, so when they made that they decision, yeah, then they get baptized and maybe either baptized or baptized and confirmed. Uh, at the maybe it I might be at the same time or it might be separated, but you would want to do both. Um, so I ideally I think you would want to do both at the same time. Wait for the bishop to come, mm -hmm. um, but maybe you want to get baptized at the Easter vigil, and then the bishops come a few months later, and then the bishop will confirm them as well. But you would do both because they're an adult, so they're ready to do both. I've never <laughs> seen an adult baptism in the Episcopal Church. What happens? 
It's pretty fun. It's um, I've done them. I did those at UT, several of them, because it's all college students. Oh, yeah. So um, people Do you sprinkle, who, sprinkle, just like a baby. No, actually, what we did was we, this was at a big outdoor Easter vigil thing that we did with a couple other in partnership with some other churches. Mm-hmm. So we got like you know one of those like horse trough beer oh, things yeah. or whatever that bars have. Yeah, and they be full. I mean, we got. I've heard. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean at horse farms <laughs> and like. Um, <laughs> We filled it full of water and then like I had them dress all in black and then uh, kneel down in the horse trough and we did the whole blessing of the water, kneel down the horse trough and then I had a huge bucket and I just poured water so they were totally soaked. And then, and they turned the clothes turned white as the water well, hit them. Actually, no, well, then they got out in the old, early church. That'd be you would get what's called a baptismal robe. Mm-hmm. So when you were baptized, you got this white robe, and that's actually what everyone would wear at worship every Sunday is their baptismal robe oh. and that was their worship clothes. And the, in the descendant of that is the white alb that acolytes wear. Like that's a baptismal robe. Yeah. That's why you have to be baptized to be an acolyte because you're like wearing your baptismal robe. Yeah. So instead of having like a robe that they would wear at worship, cause that would be weird and no one does that anymore. Even <laughs> though I think we should go back to it. I'm, I'm, I'm oh boy. open to it. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't necessarily think we should go back to it, but <laughs> it would be cool. Um, so we got uh, you some, like tradition. Yeah, no I, way. <laughs> I, I just I love the physical symbols. Yeah. You know, like I really. I do. agree. I think it's like, cool. Um, so, but we got them white bathrobes that were their baptismal robes. So when they nice. got, came up out of the water baptized, we put the white bathrobe on them and we brought them to the front and then we anointed them with the oil and like. Um, and then they were, and we, you know, welcomed them as new Christians to That's the cool. church. Yeah. And then they were confirmed later because the bishop wasn't at that ceremony. It was something we did with other churches. Um, so, yeah, that that would be the path of an adult, like totally separated from the church mm-hmm. uh, or ne- never raised, never went. Uh, it would be baptism and then taking Eucharist. Again, going back to like the circumcision and Passover thing mm-hmm. as like, ongoing identity markers since that's what we're talking about and again asterisks there's a lot more to baptism and eucharist than just that and there's a lot more to circumcision and passover than just that too <laughs> uh the passover meal but um but yeah so that would be what it is so essentially like the the ceremony the rite of baptism is an entrance rite into the full participation of the eucharistic meal of the so that you can, and again, anyone can participate in the Eucharist, a Sunday service, and you can fully participate without receiving the body and blood of Christ. Um, but if you want to participate in that part of it, you have to be baptized first because that's the entrance, right? Uh-huh. So in some sense, it's one big ritual. And that's why we have a, a font at the entrance of our church, mm-hmm. because it's the entrance into the church. And so like people will dip their fingers in the holy water and cross themselves or just pour it on their heads. I've seen that done before too. Nice. You're repart you're you're not rebaptizing yourself, but you're reminding yourself, but not just in a memory way. It's not like most of us remember it. Um, but you're re participating in um the your your one baptism, right? As the entrance into the church. And what is the church? It is the community that is built by participating in the Eucharist. So, um, so yeah. So kind of any way to get to that, like that's, that's the idea. If you've already been baptized, 
then it's the con- then it's the um, uh, Eucharistic part, and mm-hmm. then of course confirmation is linked with baptism, mm-hmm. in that it's the uh, prayers for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is the charisms and other things like that, as well. Cool. So I well we I think we have one more have aspect. Okay, because we've we've surpassed our self-imposed we? hour. Okay, but all right, but yes, tell me more. Okay, so the one thing we haven't talked yeah. about is Who's people left? who are received into. Oh yeah, the yeah, church. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, um, this this is reception into the church. It's done by a bishop as well. It has to be done by a bishop. I can't do it. Sorry, don't ask. Um, like, Boom. yeah. What are you even and, good for? That's right. And when the bishop <laughs> came on our glorious uh, Saint Margaret's Day Sunday. Um, he did all three of these he got to do. He got to confirm people. He got to reaffirm someone's baptism. Yeah, he was busy. That's right. He was a busy <laughs> beaver. It's, uh, and so, and then he got to receive someone into the church as well. And this is also where we see like the distinctiveness of the distinctiveness and unity of the Episcopal church and other communions. So like when um, someone has been baptized and they've been, and then they've been confirmed in another tradition, although only another tradition that has apostolic succession. So we do not recognize, like I was confirmed, I've been confirmed twice and received once in my lifetime because um, yeah. I was confirmed originally in the Presbyterian church, which I talked about. Because um, see, see, mm-hmm. I have... Tra- <laughs> <laughs> um, I went to one once, does that count? <laughs> yeah, it totally counts. Um, so I was confirmed in the Presbyterian Church. Then I went through RCIA and was confirmed again in the Roman Catholic Church because they, like us, said like, okay, well, you were confirmed, but it was a, that was a rite that was done by a presbyter, not a bishop, and you guys don't even have bishops, so you don't have apostolic succession. So we want to give you the prayers of a, of a bishop of apostolic succession that is a valid confirmation for us, right? And that's the same, us and the Catholics and everyone else and everyone else with apostolic succession, you need to have that for it to be valid. So I had to be confirmed again in the Roman Catholic Church. But then when I came to the Episcopal <laughs> Church, having been baptized, having been confirmed twice, uh, actually baptized twice as well, which, oh man, don't tell the Baptists. Wow. Like they're just gonna be like, I told you, but you're an like, overachiever, man. Yeah, I know. It took that this many to like <laughs> um, finally fixed you that's right um so even though the episcopal church fully recognizes recognized my confirmation in the roman catholic church as it would fully recognize the confirmation of a lutheran of i think um a methodist right like your wife mm-hmm. was also received yes. into the church um after being confirmed by a methodist mm-hmm. um if you can believe it um, and then, um, you know, the Eastern Orthodox, the, you know, like any church with um, apostolic succession. Um, so even though though that was recognized for me, um, the, 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 they insisted, I actually had to do this to go to seminary. Like it came up, uh, they were like, were you confirmed? I was like, yeah, of course I was confirmed. Back at the Cathedral of Immaculate Conception, they were like, I don't think that sounds like an Episcopal. That sounds pretty Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was like, oh, you haven't been received into the church? And I was like, I didn't know that <laughs> yeah. was a thing. I thought I did all the things. Um, but no, like it's, it is an important step to formally say like, even though this doesn't make, it's not like I'm stopped being this, this Christian, I'm going to be a Christian or, or I'm 
going to be a different kind of Christian. It's an acknowledgement of our unity in that, like, we don't make people get reconfirmed, even from other traditions, mm-hmm. when they've been confirmed in apostolic succession. And that would be true also in the Roman Catholic Church. Like, they don't like a lot of things about uh, the Episcopalians, uh, or uh, I should say theology. Um, and <laughs> some as human beings. Well. But, yeah. Like, there's generally, like, in Christian churches, a respect for apostolic succession, mm-hmm. the validity of apostolic succession. So, like, um, so I went to a bishop, and the bishop came and visited, and, like, just before I was going to go to seminary, just under the wire, um, he, he came and instead of sort of putting his hands on my head and confirming me um, and doing those prayers, he sort of did a thing where he took my hands and like and said, you know, like I receive you formally into the Episcopal Church. And so and the there clouds it is. opened. That's right. The clouds Angels opened, sang. and we're like, no, you levitated a little bit. <laughs> this will not end well. <laughs> um, and so uh, there, th- that that is the process. So like to be officially like uh, uh, recognized, and it's mm-hmm. the same with the reaffirmation. It's like an official recognition that hey, you have always been a Christian, or you know, in my case. We acknowledge you are confirmed, but you are officially a confirmed and active member of this branch, this tradition, this community, right? Because, like, again, there's not actually that much difference between Anglicans and Catholics. Like, there's a lot less difference between Anglicans and Roman Catholics than Anglicans and a lot of fellow Protestants, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, um, so... But there is still this thing where we want to acknowledge and every, I think, denomination or tradition wants to acknowledge like it's you are a Christian, you're a worshiping Christian, you're a practicing Christian. That's great. We want to acknowledge like not just that you have this abstract identity as an Episcopalian, but you're Mm -hmm. a part of us, you know, like you're a Christian with us in a unique way, right? Not that we're not united to Christians of all denominations, but like you know, when you need something, you come to us and we come to you and you, we have a mutual obligation to each other in the same kind of way that like people in a given parish have an increased obligation for each other than even someone from a, a an Episcopalian from a different parish, just, just because of practical necessity. Right. It's like, these are the people that mm-hmm. like will love me and take care of me and bring me food when I'm sick and who I can call when I'm sad or whatever, you know? And so it's like that, that is not just a sort of like uh, uh, a secondary benefit of being a Christian. That is a primary importance to being a Christian, uh, being embedded in a, in a community of actual material love and affection and support. Like that's not separate from the spiritual stuff. That mm-hmm. is the expression of the spiritual stuff. So that cool. is how one becomes an Episcopalian <laughs> and why. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Now we're over time, but okay. I'm still going to do this. And I know you have a hard cut off here too. Yeah. So we're going to have to make this quick, but okay. you know, we have our in segments. We have the mailbox. We have stump yeah. the priest. I'm yeah. adding a new one. Oh, and I'm tentatively in my head calling it from the mouths of babes. Okay. okay. I like that one from okay. the mouths of babes. <laughs> Can you write another little song so, <laughs> from the mouths of babes? Um, so I have, uh, well, so, so, we both have young children. Yeah. They ask us questions. They do. You're probably good at answering these questions. Um, I'm like 
Uh, <laughs> as is Sable, who's written us an email um, about something that Ivy, our daughter, has uh, asked us. Just last well, night, all right, I'm excited. So, I don't know if she wanted me to read this verbatim, but I'm going to. Sorry, Sable. Perfect. So, she said, here's Ivy's question while I was driving home yesterday. How does God make the whole earth with his hands when he isn't even that big? <laughs> she Sable follows up saying, my answer is pretty good on the spot about how God is infinite and is all around us. Even yes. though we sent Jesus to earth, who is God? It wasn't just Jesus that technically made the earth. He's bigger than all things, et cetera, et cetera. I know my long answer with how one day we can ask God how we made the earth and the whole universe. And her follow-up question was this. But if we're laying down asleep forever, dead, how do we open our mouths and ask him that? <laughs> Ah. To which she Sable says, "Wait, go uh, back to the setup for that question. Which part? Laying down. Like, what was Sable's if, answer that she was responding to? Sable had said, uh, one day we can ask God how we made the Earth and the whole universe.' Oh, okay, gotcha. And gotcha. so I so said, but how if do we do that if we're dead?' dead? <laughs> so Sable says, "Some uh, of the Psalms ask that question. Ooh. It's like, oh Lord, who will who will give you thanks and praise in the grave? Save <laughs> oh, me, wild. oh God, from my yeah enemies." And she yeah. says, "My next answer was about our soul and how our soul goes to heaven and probably becomes all knowing, so we don't need our body to yeah. ask God questions." Yeah. Did I do okay? <laughs> Says Sable. Yeah. And I mean, then, if the question is, "Did you do okay?" Yeah, you did okay. Nice. That was good. good job. <laughs> and and lastly, it. that was short. Uh, also, she oh. wants to know how God made roly polies. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so let's let's start with these are going to have to be short answers, yeah. man. I believe okay. in you. Short answers. I believe in you. And this this is actually this good is in how... terms of responding to people at different spiritual stages. Exa- and honestly, because I, this I is... need things explained to me like yeah. I'm a four year old yeah. sometimes. So this, this is a time for short answers. How four, does God make the whole Earth with yeah. His hands when He isn't even that big? Uh, he did not make the Earth with His hands. Is the answer? Ooh, like okay. He. Um, she may be responding to the popular children's song. He's got the, the whole, whole world, world in his hands. <laughs> that is metaphorical, but um, uh, but it, it's also like it's not a merely metaphorical in terms of like he. It is a true metaphor that God has the whole world within His power. It's metaphorical, it Ivy. It. That's right. <laughs> it's analogical, I should actually say. Oh boy, yeah. Um, so like there is a you know, a body of, of powers, um, that God possesses. In fact, all powers that within which he holds all creation. So like, um, so, so there we go. But anyway, to the question, um, God did not make the world with his hands. He made it actually with his voice, analogically speaking, but like, uh, he spoke, he willed the world into creation. That's right. And he has that power because he is, um, eternal existence itself. And so he donated generously existence to, um, from his own essence to, uh, to create the world. So that's it. So All he right. didn't create it with his hands, Ivy. I'm sorry, but he like he does, into existence. he does love it. And he did create hands mm-hmm. and he made, he gave himself hands. He took to himself a human nature with body with hands. And he like used those hands to create so, things as Sam, well. When she said when he's yeah. not even that big, I wonder if she's seeing God as maybe Jesus. baby Jesus. Yeah. And going, yeah, how right. would Jesus make all but, of this? <laughs> you know, not to go off on a tangent, oh, boy. but that is one of the beautiful things the juxtapositions uh, of of christmas is like it's not lost on scripture or the church or the early christian fathers what an amazingly mind-blowing thing it is that the creator of the world 
becomes a tiny little child who can't even stand up or hold his head up. Yeah, or, you know, like that's cool. Tiny, like it's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing that God of all power would become the most vulnerable thing. Yeah, because it could have just like shot down here as adult right. Jesus and be like. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got like, it. Anything you want outside of his ability. That's right. That's right. So yeah. Okay. okay so next so if we're laying down asleep forever. Yes. Parentheses dead. How can we open our mouths and ask him? Um, yes. How Again, we, how we did all this. What a beautiful echo of the Psalms. Obviously, Ivy is doing evening prayer and morning prayer. <laughs> of course, yeah. Which you go through the Psalms every seven she weeks. She just sits silently That's and right, just muttering just, the, the amazing. Prayer. Yeah, yeah, the prayers of the church. She's perfect. Yep, she is. Um, <laughs> no, I mean like that, The when that happens in Scripture, in the Old Testament, it's in the Psalms and in other places as well. Mm-hmm. This sort of rhetorical question of like, you know, people who are in trouble and they're like, God, are you going to let me die here? Because, hey, how, who's going to praise you if I'm, I'm dead, <laughs> right? I'll go to, I'll go down to the land of the dead. My body will be dust. Who's going to give you thanks and praise them, God. And we see that as Christians as like sort of setting up the first half of the crucifixion, the death, and then resurrection of Jesus. And like the resurrection again is a concept that predates Jesus. Like people were already answering that question with resurrection but so there's kind of two answers here one is again i'm sorry ivy we don't rest forever we believe in a bodily resurrection so like Mm -hmm. we don't think a human being is a complete thing when their soul is separate from their body it's not like we are souls but we have bodies no we are our bodies we are our souls they are actually um they are we're a composite being right and like we are not ourselves fully without both of them. So like the, it is crucial part of our theology and our worldview that, yeah, we die and we do die and we rest and we, you know, Christians all over the world call it falling asleep in Christ. Mm. Even like we talk about the dormition of the Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mary who fell asleep in the Lord. Um, Talk about death that way. So like, no, uh, we don't use our bodies at all in the intermediary time with possible some exceptions because time is a weird thing. Um, it's a flat but, circle. Yeah, that's right. Aside from like <laughs> the possibility that some very holy saints sort of participate in their resurrection and, you know, like kind of like Jesus is resurrected, not at the end of the day, at uh, the end of the world, but in the middle of it um, and does resurrection stuff. Um but aside from that, like the idea is in, let's just say between our death and whenever our bodily resurrection is, um, we, uh, uh, we don't use our mouths, but we will have the opportunity to use our mouths and bodies, you know, again, our resurrection bodies, transformed, transfigured bodies to give thanks, praise, ask questions, all that kind of stuff. So that's one part. The other part is what happens between now and then. Yeah. Well, the church there too, like, again, it's not super specific because most of Christianity is centered on like, what are we doing right now to participate in that resurrection life mm-hmm. right now to bring it forward in time to right now, just as Jesus brought the resurrection forward in himself. Um, the But so what happens after we die? Well, we do believe like the souls of the righteous are in the hands of God, right? That's in our, um, uh, the readings for our, our, burial liturgy Mm -hmm. um and uh and so like we believe our life even right now is hidden with christ that's also in the scriptures so like 
that's talking about like the invisible things we do that no one else sees, but God, where we actually express love and charity. Like all that stuff is like, that's our life in Christ. Well, where's Christ? He's not in front of us. He's hidden. He's up at the right hand of God. He's in, in that invisible heavenly realm. Right. Mm -hmm. Which means he's infinitely close to everything. Mm -hmm. Ivy, are you getting this? Um, (laughs) And so like, but we're, so how do I tell that's right. (laughs) But the bottom line is like, we don't even just think after we die, our soul is with God in a way in which our consciousness is connected to him. So we don't need a mouth necessarily to communicate because we don't need a mouth to communicate with God now. Right. Someone who can't talk. That's what I was thinking. That's right. Like, Mm -hmm. You know, God knows our hearts. And so like we can, I I think it's good to pray out loud and with your mouth. It's because we are bodily. We want to use our body when we pray, Mm -hmm. but we don't need it to be, to -hmm. pray and be connected to God. So that's what I would say is like in that intermediary time, again, remembering we are looking forward with the hope of resurrection, bodily resurrection. um, But we do, we are you know, in God has the infinite capacity to know and love and understand us. Huh? So you can tell her that. Yes, I will. Word for word. Yeah. (laughs) So So, the, uh, the last thing is, um, she asked, uh, and I tried to answer this one very poorly for her, (laughs) (laughs) but she said, how did God make roly polies? Oh yeah. I said, uh, what, uh, she, well, see God made, the roly polies parents who who made <laughs> I just tried to kick it down the nope. field, you know. Nope. <laughs> who then yeah. who then made that roly poly right. that you're holding. <laughs> so that gets to like this is don't worry, Matt. You're not the only one who thinks incorrectly in this way. <laughs> no, that I mean like so oftentimes when we ask how in mm-hmm. our modern day, we immediately go to what we call like the material or efficient cause of something, mm-hmm. which would be like, well, how did we get this car? Well, it came from a factory and it was put together by these, you know, we sort of put it on that timeline thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, where did it come from? And what was the process by which it was made? We believe that God not just made like, cause we're not deists, didn't just like <laughs> create the universe and let it go off. Yeah. Like, you know, when we talk about human beings, we believe that God made humanity. We also meet, believe that God personally created each and every one of us, right? Like God made and you, see, God is, made me. This is because, what I wanted to get yeah, at with her. Yeah. But I, I just like started going into the weeds yeah. too much in my head. And I'm like, I want to be like, well, see, yeah. he, he formed the roly poly in the yeah. womb. And I was like, wait, do no. roly polies have yeah. wombs? And I'm like, wait, I don't know. do they lay eggs? Do they I have what no do roly polies yeah. yeah. do? But luckily, so I just, I yeah, just stopped. We can sidestep that <laughs> by talking about philosophy, philosophy instead of natural philosophy, and even philosophy that Ivy will get right. Mm-hmm. Like God is the formal and final cause. Uh, she won't get this part, but formal and final cause of everything. So, right. Like when we say God made you, we don't mean that your parents didn't also participate in that. Right. Like there, there's a whole thing not to gross you out, but just what I I was trying also not to get into the first time, but yeah. Um, but, but again, we can sidestep that too, because like, how did God make roly polies? You see when a man roly poly falls in love with, exactly. But like, okay, so this is how God made roly polies and everything, right? It goes mm-hmm. back to that like will, like he made it out of love. He loved roly polies into existence. He thought of it and then loved it. And again, we're sort of like 
anthropomorphizing a little bit here. Sure, sure. We think of things and then act on them. God mm. just is his thoughts, desires, will. It's all collapsed into the divine simplicity of the Lord. But to tease it out into words we can understand, like he thought of it, he thought it was good, and he loves goodness, and so roly-polies existed. And that's it. You know, like, and every roly-poly is an, is an outpouring of that love for roly-polies, essentially. Like, their own, with their own, you know, like, they roly-polies glorify God in some way. I don't know exactly how, but, like, in some way. I they can see with the roly-poly. They bring out, like, yeah. a, a light in children, you know? They that's right. Oh, man. Children love, love roly-polies. Now, if we're going to talk about mosquitoes, I got some issues. But I know. I know. But <laughs> I don't know how those express in some any way, love. <laughs> nor do I. Um, maybe sort of like, you know, that way in which suffering can be redemptive. I don't oh, wow. <laughs> no, we can go deep there. Um, but nevertheless, it's like, no, God, that, so that's how God created roly-polies. He did it with his, he willed them into existence it's kind of via same, love and for the purpose of love. Kind of the same answer as how he created the earth. Yeah, exactly. Cool. I mean, no when, we're talk, when we talk about creation, we are not talking about the Big Bang. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. But this very moment right now is as much God created as the Big Bang. Like God is just creates. Like that is just his will. And be, always he creates. Creating. That's right. Because existence is good. Why is existence good? Because it is the essence of God and God is good. And so like to spread Man. existence around is like a good thing. And so he does it out of love. Um, so love made roly polies. I'm just going to tell her to ask you next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to wrap this, is this thing make up. make a great coffee hour. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hope you guys enjoyed. Yes. Uh, if as, I, yeah. Go ahead. If you're um toddler, child has any questions please send them in <laughs> yeah. to after the likeness at gmail.com yeah from the mouths of babes yeah. or if i said anything that offended you um or unless you're you presbyterian really liked, when, uh, that's probably who we're talking about um uh the i'm gonna pick another denomination to pick on nah. at some point okay all right when we'll you got going. one you just roll with it, <laughs> that's man. right this is for football um yeah take that yep the uh, but yeah, if you have any other questions about how one becomes an Episcopalian or anything that we raise, please uh, send us an email as well. Yes, yes. And as always, like, rate, subscribe. That's right. Five stars, please. Five stars goes a and, long way to spreading our podcast. As I always say, most importantly, share. If you know someone who might be interested in this, that's right. Send it on over to them. Give it we'll to talk them. to them too. That's right. And they can send us an email about how much they hate us for insulting yeah, that'd be awesome. Like I have this friend named so-and-so who told me to listen to this and they were stupid. And we go, oh, well, okay. Yep. But thanks for finishing the episode. That's right. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening this long. All right, guys. Y'all have a wonderful post-Thanksgiving. Yeah. Happy free- Advent. Oh, that's what that's called? Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. Just kidding. Happy <laughs> Advent to everyone, and I hope you all have a really Merry Christmas. Oh, one thing to look forward to. Sometime between now and Christmas, Oh yeah. Um, Matt and I are going to sit down with a special guest, and I can tell you now because we've confirmed the interview, the Re- Reverend Dr. Nathan Jennings, who is a professor of liturgy at Seminary of the Southwest, the best seminary in the country, nay, the world. And um, yes, he will be talking to us. He is a professor of liturgy, which is our sort of usually our communal rituals. But he's actually going to be talking to us about what is um, what is like uh, 
discipleship look like in a liturgical church? Ah. How does our day-to-day actions kind of connect into our ceremonies, our our baptism, our Eucharist, all that kind of stuff? That's cool. And we're going to get into like asking that question that we're asking this season. What is the unique Episcopal way of discipleship? So heck yeah, look for that. It's coming yeah. up. So we'll see you guys. We'll see you then next time. Yep, y'all are the best. We love each and every one of you like a who made it through this whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys. I'm Matt Kitchen. And I'm Father Eric. And this is After, After the Likeness. See you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.